Greetings, friends. It's June 22nd, and this is the One-Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, which we produce daily for our friends around the world who are wanting to maintain a healthy Bible reading discipline, knowing the benefit of gaining divine viewpoint and receiving wisdom and insights for daily application. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I'm delighted to have you with us as we press on in our journey through the 66 books of the Bible in a year. Each day, we read a portion from both the Old and New Testaments, and we balance our intake with a daily drink from the human heart cries of the Book of Psalms and wisdom nuggets from the Book of Proverbs. We are making great progress and are now in our 12th book of the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, we're traveling with the pioneer missionaries Paul and Barnabas, who today will be completing their first missionary journey in Asia Minor, where the gospel has had a particularly great reception among the Gentiles. Let's go first to the book of Second Kings. Yesterday we observed the prophetic baton being passed from Elijah to Elisha. Many commentators have seen a parallel between the ministries of Elijah and Elisha and the ministry of Christ and his disciples, as the ministry of the first is carried on in the ministry of the second. We start with Second Kings chapter 3 today, beginning with verse 1. Moab rebels against Israel. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. In the eighteenth year of Jehoshaphat king of Judah, Jehoram the son of Ahab became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned twelve years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from it. Now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep-breeder, and he had to deliver to the king of Israel one hundred thousand lambs and the wool of one hundred thousand rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So king Jehoram marched out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. And he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat king of Judah, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And he said, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, By which way shall we march? Jehoram answered, By the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And when they had made a circuitous march of seven days, There was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here, through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elijah said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, 
Were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed will be filled with water, so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree and stop up all the springs of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. The next morning, about the time of offering the sacrifice, behold, water came from the direction of Edom, till the country was filled with water. When all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to put on armor, from the youngest to the oldest, were called out and were drawn up at the border. And when they rose early in the morning, and the sun shone on the water, the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. And they said, This is blood. The kings have surely fought together and struck one another down. Now then, Moab, to the spoil. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose and struck the Moabites till they fled before them. And they went forward, striking the Moabites as they went. And they overthrew the cities, and on every good piece of land every man threw a stone until it was covered. They stopped every spring of water and felled all the good trees, till only its stones were left in Kir Haraseth, and the slingers surrounded and attacked it. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took with him seven hundred swordsmen to break through, opposite the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from him and returned to their own land. Chapter 4 Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Elisha and the Shunammite Woman One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls, 
and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi said, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament passage for today. Now let's take a few moments to recap and reflect. The sins of the kings of Israel are often compared to the benchmark of the sin of Jeroboam, which was the self-styled have-it-your-way religion, allowing for all kinds of idolatry, especially Baal worship. Joram, otherwise known as Jehoram, the son of Ahab, becomes king of Israel and continues to do evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. Even though Joram removes one of the more prominent sacred monuments to Baal, he allows the false religious center and priesthood invented by Jeroboam to remain intact. His great sin is that he has no regard for God's self-revelation through the word. When the king of Moab rebels against Israel, refusing to pay the required tribute, Joram, without any inclination to consult the Lord, recruits Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom to attack. It is Jehoshaphat who asks Joram to seek God's mind through the prophet Elisha. You get the idea that Elisha and the king of Israel are not on good speaking terms. But Jehoshaphat still desired to find out God's will. Elisha will only prophesy because he had respect for Jehoshaphat's willingness to inquire of the Lord. Elisha calls for a musician, a harpist, to play music while the Holy Spirit comes upon him to give revelation. The Lord would do a miracle, but they had to do the prep work of digging ditches. The Lord would fill the ditches with water, and when the morning sun is reflected on it, it would appear to be pools of blood. This image gave the impression to the enemy that the armies of the three kings had attacked each other. It foreshadows the defeat of the enemy through the light of God's word, reflecting the redemptive value of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ through the water of the word in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Presuming victory, the Moabites rush in to get the plunder only to find the Israelites ready to rise up, slaughter them, and devastate the land. The darkness of the period becomes evident when the king of Moab offers his firstborn son on the city wall to his pagan god, Chemosh. Elisha offers help to the poor indebted widow whose creditors are threatening to take away her two sons as slaves. He miraculously provides for her practical need by first asking, What do you have in your house? This is a good reminder to take stock of the fact that God is willing to use what He has already given us. 
He can do a miracle with our current subject matter, what we have in our house. In her case, she said, I have nothing except a little oil. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 2. Elisha then instructs her to borrow empty vessels of every size and shape from her neighbors. Behind closed doors, the woman is told to pour out her oil in the empty borrowed vessels. She found out that the Lord was able to fill every vessel she borrowed. The flow of oil only stopped when all the available jars were full. God's supply was abundantly sufficient. Elisha then told her to sell the oil in many vessels and she would be able to pay all her debts and that she and her sons could live on the rest. What a wonderful picture of the ever-sufficient provisions of God's grace available to the believer. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 Elisha returns the kindness of a Shunammite couple who made a small room for him to live in by praying for their infertility. Within a year's time, the Shunammite couple had a baby boy. And we'll continue that story tomorrow. Now let's go to the book of Acts in the New Testament, where we are reading about Paul and Barnabas's missionary journey in Asia Minor, and they are coming to an end of that journey. We will be reading today from Acts chapter 14, verse 8 through verse 28. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord 
in whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch in Syria. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. This concludes our reading for today from the New Testament in the book of Acts. Now let's take a few moments to think about what we have just read. Paul and Barnabas are preaching in Lystra. It's pronounced Lystra in British English and Lystra in American English, and forgive me, I've spent time in both places. The city of Lystra is in the Roman province of Galatia, modern-day Turkey. A layman from birth hears the gospel being preached and believes in the name of the Lord Jesus in Acts chapter 14, verse 9, and Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Paul looks at him and perceives that he has faith to be healed. He calls out, Stand up on your feet. The man jumps up and walks. So far we have seen in the New Testament that God can heal anyone He wants to. He can heal when faith rests in the one being used by Jesus to effect the healing in Acts chapter 3 or the one needing to be healed in Acts chapter 14. In John chapter 5, Jesus healed a discouraged lame man who had no faith that he would be healed. We should pray for the sick, knowing that God is all-powerful and works all things according to the counsel of His will. When the people of Lystra see the miracle, they interpret it in the context of their folk religion based on Roman mythology. In their mythology, the gods would occasionally come down in human form. There was a legend that Zeus and Hermes had come to this region in the past and were rejected by the populace, with the exception of an elderly couple. That couple was later rewarded for their hospitality when the general populace was punished. These people mistakenly believed that Barnabas was Zeus and Paul was Hermes, the messenger god, because he was the chief speaker. Rather than being flattered by the attention and high honors bestowed upon them, Paul and Barnabas were quick to correct this newfound celebrity worship. They tore their clothes and clarified that they were mere men who had the gracious experience of knowing God, the Creator of heaven and earth, personally. Yet despite their efforts to deflect their attention away from themselves to the only true God, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Jews from Antioch and Iconium stir up the crowd against them. They stone Paul and drag him out of the city, thinking he is dead. In Acts chapter 14, verse 20, we read, But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. He returned to Lystra once again to give believers follow-up treatment, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. And indeed, Paul the Apostle was demonstrating this fact in his sufferings. We see an important part of his job as a disciple-making, church-planting missionary. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The first missionary journey concludes, 
with Paul and Barnabas traveling back to the sending church in Antioch, where they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 14, verse 27. Now let's continue our Bible tour and go to the Bible's song and prayer book, the book of Psalms. And today we'll be reading Psalm 140, verses 1 through 13. And reading today's psalm will be Peter Healy. Psalm 140, a psalm of David. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts and stir up wars continually. They make their tongues sharp as serpents, and under their lips is the venom of asps. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net. Besides the way, they have set snares for me. I say to the Lord, You are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, Lord. O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into mire pits, no more to rise. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name, and the upright shall dwell in your presence. Thank you, Peter. In this psalm, the psalmist finds himself surrounded by evil men of violence and those who wish him harm and plan for his downfall in verse 1. He is the object of verbal attacks in verse 2. He prays for rescue in verse 1, for protection and deliverance in verse 7, and vindication in verse 9. He expresses confidence in God's impeccable sense of justice in verse 12, but he also calls out for his sovereign mercy in verse 6. The last verse underscores the hope that the gospel gives to all in Christ ones. In Psalm 140, verse 13, Surely the righteous will give thanks to your name, the upright will dwell in your presence. And now we go to the treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, Chapter 17, verse 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. People with a positive mental attitude and a joyful spirit are more likely to maintain health and recover more quickly from illness. We benefit from a spirit-controlled mind and a mind-controlled body. One's psychological condition affects one's physical condition. Bones represent the essence of one's body, Fat bones in the Bible refer to a healthy body in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 8, and 15, verse 30, and 16, verse 24, and dry bones represent unhealthiness. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, a depressed or dejected spirit has a detrimental effect on the body. Now let's pray together. Lord, you are our rescuer, deliverer, protector, vindicator, 
and the merciful forgiver of our sins. Thank you for the cross of Jesus, where you provide a mercy seat for guilty sinners who deserve condemnation at the judgment seat. We can rest secure, knowing that in Christ we can dwell in your presence. Thank you for giving us the assurance that you can do miracles for us, in us, and through us. We have a sufficiency in you that cannot be exhausted as long as there are vessels available to you. Be glorified as we grow in your abounding grace, knowing that you have an ample supply for every need. In Jesus' name, Amen. I hope you enjoyed this leg of the journey as we've been traveling through the one-year Bible. And God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow and pick up the story in Second Kings and the book of Acts and a return dip into the book of Psalms and Proverbs. If you would like to receive a written copy of our commentary on today's reading, you can go to our website and subscribe to the daily email. It's www.newlife.org. And if you have any questions or comments, you can write us at our special email address, podcast at newlife.org. Enjoy the rest of your day with the assurance of God's grace and His unfailing love. 